Good morning, Claude and audience, and welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. I am Bill Bennett. This is the podcast that translates Donald Trump, President Trump. Mm. Yeah, a lot of translating. Some translating needs to be done today. Right, right. Take a look at the current administration. Address the threats to America, real and imagined. Joining me today uh, to discuss impeachment and uh, Republican uh, affection or disaffection with the president is Jim Antle. He's the American conservative's editor-in-chief and a political pundit. We'll dive into all things impeachment, Trump, Mitch McConnell, etc. A few thoughts. We're going to get our friend Joel Farkas back in a few weeks. He comes to mind because just read a fabulous article by uh, Heather MacDonald right. about the situation in San Francisco. And uh, she went there, went on the street, talked to the homeless. We're going to have her on soon to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's put, why don't we put a link up to the article? Sure, now. we'll post it on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, folks we'll, we'll, listen, we'll yeah. post it on Facebook and Twitter. I want to talk basketball in China. Unusual for me to be reading from the Washington Post, but this is a pretty good narrative, and I've checked it out. It's accurate. Okay. On Wednesday uh, last, South Park released an episode called Banned in China. It features the clueless Randy Marsh, the most prominently featured parent in the show, South Park, detained in a Chinese prison and labor camp for trying to sell marijuana he grows legally Mm -hmm. on his farm in Colorado uh, to what he thinks will be a large untapped market in China. Here we go again. American businessman seeking out that, you know, one billion people in China, right? You guys talked about that. This audience has heard me talk about the Book of Virtues, Uh you know? Meanwhile, his son, in the South Park episode, battles uh, with a film producer over the script for a biopic about his death metal band. As Chinese advisors stand over him and request request rewrite after rewrite to appease the government's strict standards. Mm-hmm. For this movie to really make money, we need to clear the Chinese censors, the producer tells Stan. You've got to lower your ideals of, your free, of freedom <laughs> if you want the dough, if you want to do business in China. In a scene at the beginning of the episode, several NBA players, including one wearing a Houston Rockets jersey and recognizable Disney characters, including Elsa of Frozen and Thor of the Avengers, uh-huh. fly to China as brand ambassadors. <laughs> These guys are wicked. To entice Chinese viewers to tune into their American programming. Randy goes to extreme lengths to satisfy the Chinese officials and regain his freedom. Eventually, strangling Winnie the Pooh ah. in prison. Ah, ah, ah. He strangles Winnie the Pooh because uh, Pooh is a victim of the country's suppression of speech. Um, his son rejects the censor's demands, boldly proclaiming he will not sell his soul to make money in the Chinese film market. It's not worth living in a world where China controls my country's art, young Stan eventually tells the producer. Well, just two days after the episode aired on TV, in the real world, the NBA scrambled respond after Houston Rockets Amori mm-hmm. tweeted support for protesters in Hong Kong, where millions of pro-democracy demonstrators have been clashing with police over China and Chinese interference in the semi-autonomous territory. Fight for freedom. Stand with Hong Kong, he wrote in a now-deleted tweet on Friday. But Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta rushed to clarify that Mori does not speak for the Rockets. Uh-huh. Rocket star James Harden, I hate to see this, he's a great player. Great player. Apologized and told reporters, we love China. Of course. (laughs) While standing with teammate Russell Westbrook during a practice in Tokyo. The NBA issued a statement defending Maury's right to share his views, but also said it was deeply regrettable that those views deeply offended many of our friends and fans in China. 
Hmm. Yeah, which way did the NBA want it? Huh? Yeah. The league's response led to swift criticism from U.S. politicians. Major O'Rourke said the NBA was more concerned with money. Uh, what an embarrassment uh, than it is with freedom. Maury Sweet, though, wasn't the only sentiment that ran afoul of Chinese censors this weekend. The Hollywood Reporter searched Monday for the South Park show on several Internet platforms subject to Chinese airing and censorship. Mm -hmm. They could not find large swaths of South Park content. Wow. Wow. The outlet could not find the show mentioned on the country's uh, networking site uh, and concluded it had been killed on Chinese largest discussion platform. On Tuesday, the show was removed from China's most popular streaming services. When people tried to look for it, they couldn't get it. South Park creators issued snarky statements in the past, notably telling the Church of Scientology, you may have won this battle, but the million-year war for Earth has just begun. (laughs) After Comedy Central yanked a rerun off the air, reportedly under pressure from Tom Cruise, a member of the Church Mm -hmm. of Scientology. Some politicians agreed with Stone and Parker that Chinese censorship has had too much sway in the U.S. Annoy a communist. Watch South Park, Senator Ted Cruz wrote on Twitter on Monday afternoon. Cruz, who says he's a lifelong Rockets fan, has vocally criticized the NBA for its response to Maury's tweet. Oh, here's the, uh, here's the, uh, the full uh, tweet from uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the producers of South mm-hmm. Park. It's called Official Apology to China. From Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Like the NBA, we welcome the Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. <laughs> into our homes and hearts. Isn't that great? We mm-hmm. welcome the censors. We, too, love money more than freedom and democracy. She doesn't look just like Winnie the Pooh at all. <laughs> Tune into our 300th episode this Wednesday at 10. Long live the great communist, great communist party of China. May this autumn's sorghum harvest be bountiful. <laughs> <laughs> we good now, China? Good for those guys. God yeah. love them. Yeah. God love them. But it's interesting because I wonder if there's a trend that's leaning back towards, you know, even comedians and writers taking back the political correctness and saying, you know, we're not going to bow to this. Because Dave Chappelle, a popular comedian from the D.C. area, has a new stand-up special on uh, Netflix. And, I mean, he goes up and down, I mean, from the LGBTQ. He's like... We're taking this stuff back. Like, it's funny, and we're saying what we're going to say. We're done with political correctness, and uh, it's a hilarious uh, uh, stand-up. Where, where, where do people find it? You can go to Netflix. Uh, Netflix, uh, Dave Chappelle, his new stand-up, and, it's, and, and, and honestly, it's, what, an hour and some change of just comedy. And, I mean, he's, he, he doesn't worry about what anyone is going to say or anything. He just makes fun of stuff. Is and it funny? Yes, and it's very refreshing to say, you know what, he... He took off the, the, the political correctness hat and just had fun and did what he does. He took some of these things that create a lot of stress for people, and he made jokes, and it's okay. It's and, okay. and is his career suffering because of it? No. Good. <laughs> well, good for him. Good for him. Good for him. Uh, I do want to say something about Syria. Uh, I'm distressed about this now. I don't know. I, you know, the Kurds have stood with us. You mm-hmm. remember back on the radio Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Talking about those Kurds and how they were really taking the fight to the bad guys. And they don't need to be rewarded this way because, uh, you know, Erdogan, Erdogan or I say Erdogan, I know that's not how you pronounce it, Erdogan, I guess, um, has no good intentions toward the Kurds. And, I, you know, the, 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 the fighting, maybe the elimination 
or attempt to eliminate and kill the Kurds has begun already. So I, I expect the president will reverse on this, at least to some degree. I hope he does. You know, a lot of the, gen- the generals don't like it. Jack Keane mm-hmm. who's a pretty good you know, and reliable commentator on this stuff and a strong supporter of the president normally uh, is not happy about this at all. So uh, more about that as we, uh, as we, as we see it develop. Uh, late-breaking news here as we are recording. It may be old news when you're listening to this because we do the podcast and then put it out 12, 24 hours later, right? Right. right. Uh, Trey Gowdy, uh, former chairman uh, in the House and um, well-known uh, congressman from South Carolina, former congressman, has joined the legal team for Donald Trump. He will be part of the outside legal team for Donald Trump. Um, he will be leaving Fox News as a commentator. Too bad for Fox News, but good news for Donald Trump. He's fierce and he's smart and he's telegenic, and um, that's a very good move for President Trump. So uh, we'll see what happens on that. We'll be looking forward to hearing from him. Uh, I imagine he will have as much time on Fox as a uh, lawyer for the president as he's had as a Fox News contributor. <laughs> right. They will seek him out. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Joining us now is Jim Antle. He's the American Conservatives Editor-in-Chief, also a political pundit. Uh, Tell us about yourself, though, where you grew up, what school, family situation, whatever. Sure. Yeah, so I've been a a journalist in Washington, D.C. for 15, almost 16 years, uh, covering national politics and public policy. I grew up in Boston. Uh, I went to college at Ohio Wesleyan University, Um, been active in conservative movement and uh, Republican politics, both covering and uh, advocating for different positions for, for quite some time. I'm happy to be here. Who was it who inspired you to get into politics? Well, you know, when I grew up in Massachusetts, Ronald Reagan was president of the United States and Michael Dukakis was governor of Massachusetts. So it was, it was really pretty obvious uh, comparing the choice. results of the two, which direction <laughs> you would go in. Yeah. Well, I go way back. I served, with, I served with Ronald Reagan. I was his uh, secretary of education. Of and uh, he's, he was a great figure and certainly made a huge difference. So let's get into Absolutely. your views here, which I find very interesting. Let, we want to talk about impeachment. I want to talk about whether um, there's distance being created here between Republicans and the president. Let's start with today's headlines, not on impeachment, but on Syria. What's your read on this? You've seen the criticism both sides of the aisle. Uh, you've seen the president's action. What's your opinion and then your opinion of opinions? Well, certainly having this happen at the same time the impeachment inquiry is unfolding uh, creates a sort of an interesting dynamic. So the, the president's relationship with Senate Republicans is really crucial here to whether this Democratic effort to push him out of office is, is going to succeed. So you, you have the Democrats can, by a simple majority, uh, do whatever they want because uh, they control the House. Uh, but you, you need a, a two-thirds majority majority in the Senate to, to actually remove a president. And with Republicans controlling the Senate, with, with you needing 20 Republican votes uh, for a conviction, it's really hard to see a path for doing that. But on Syria, you have an issue where a lot of Senate Republicans don't agree with the president's decision to move the, the troops away from the Syria-Turkish border. They think that this is uh, putting Kurdish allies who fought with us against uh, ISIS at risk, unacceptably so. Uh, and you, you have to at some point wonder, does this feature in the politics of impeachment at all? Mike Pence, the vice president, 
um, probably is more aligned with most Senate Republicans on these issues than the president is. Uh, you have people like Lindsey Graham who've spent a lot of time uh, trying to have influence in the Trump White House, uh, it, but, but clearly wanting to have this influence so that the president would make different decisions than the one that he made with regard to Syria. Uh, does this affect the, the Trump-Graham relationship? Does this affect Marco Rubio's willingness to defend the president? Does this, def- you know, does, does this affect Senate Republican leadership's political calculus? at all. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, and, you know, maybe by the time, uh, you know, the House has done whatever it's done, whatever it's going to do, uh, you know, we've moved on to, to another news cycle. And instead, there'll be a certain degree of outrage uh, over what the House Democrats did that will unite Republicans, will unify Republicans. But it's pretty clear you've got guys like Mitt Romney, who, if they see uh, Senate Republicans getting wobbly on defending the president, are going to try to exploit that and and see what they can do to maybe uh, be supportive of the impeachment inquiry. It's a big difference. I'll just comment. There's a big difference between Lindsey Graham and, and, and Mitt Romney. I mean, Mitt Romney criticizes sure. the president at the drop of a hat. Uh, Graham, interestingly, uh, is, uh, as best I can tell from what I've read and what I've watched, uh, his toughest critic, most articulate critic, and I saw him this morning, very tough uh, on the president on the Syria decision, but his uh, right. most uh, articulate and forceful defender, uh, on the impeachment uh, business, and as, as, right. as chairman of the Senate Judiciary, is in a position to do something about it. So that's that's an interesting thing. Let me just explore what you've laid out here a little further. First of all, what's your view uh, on the Syrian thing? Well, I, I think that it shows why we do have to rethink some of the things that that certainly made a lot of sense during the Cold War may make less sense now. So, for example, Turkey is a NATO ally, uh, but the character of the Turkish government is, is very different uh, than it was during the Cold War uh, when the, the decision to include them in the alliance was made. And the, the geopolitical situation is very different. So, one, do our interests and Turkey's interests really align to the point where they should have the same uh allied status with us uh, that uh, Great Britain has, for example. And, and I think that's a, a, a pretty legitimate question. I, I do think that there, I don't think that the implementation of the president's decision was was uh, the best. I think that his tendency to uh, move so quickly and without proper channels, uh, you know, you don't want to botch something like this, but I think his instinct to not want to to be in the middle of, of the Syrian civil war uh, is correct. And to be in a situation where we're uh, having troops between the Kurds and the Turks, I think, is ultimately correct. But is this the, the best way uh, to implement that decision? Now, in the president's defense, I think part of the problem is he's made clear for months that this is his uh, inclination. And he, instead of providing him with alternatives, some of his subordinates seem to be actively resisting him on this front. And you know, there's an impeachment uh, tie-in to that. I mean, certainly most of the impeachment inquiry uh, going on would be impossible if there wasn't a certain level of insubordination yeah. uh, going on uh, in the government under Trump. Uh, so, Where you know, do you come out? I mean, yes or no on the Syrian decision? Good, good oh, decision I think or bad? Right. You think it's right? I think it's a good decision. Wow. I think he's right. Okay. 
Well, I don't. I really don't. Maybe my memory's longer because I'm older, but uh, those Kurds have been great. They were the only ones with us for a while in Iraq. They were holding up that northern border. We made promises and commitments to them. I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I love the president. Great admirer, public defender, but not not on this one. Not on this one. The, you know, and a lot of people, especially a lot of Senate Republicans, feel the same way you do. Well, I just think it's not a matter of feelings. It's a matter of the record and our commitments. And uh, You know, if we, if we didn't want to be there, we didn't want to be in the middle of it, we shouldn't have gotten in the middle of it. But uh, we're in the middle what? of it, and we made and we made commitments. So l- let me ask you this, though. Do you think sure. – um, we'll just stipulate we disagree on that one. But um, do you think if we're getting to impeachment – and you raise in your two articles, by the way, we'll put it, we'll put a link up to both of them, that, um, that it's possible that the president will not only be impeached but convicted. Uh, I think you think it's remote, correct me if I'm wrong, unlikely, but right. that this, this would be the route, this kind of thing would be the kind of thing that would alienate Republicans more than anything that will come out of the uh, Ukraine situation. Is, is that a fair statement of your view? I think that if it has a cumulative effect, so if Senate Republicans just in general lose their patience with the president, both because they don't like what's coming out of this inquiry and they substantively disagree with him on major initiatives like how to handle Syria, that can have a cumulative effect where some Senate Republicans start thinking differently about how they want to handle this. I think at the moment, with the exception of Mitt Romney and maybe Ben Sass, nobody's seriously considering breaking with the president. But if you have a number of disagreements on important issues like Syria, plus a, a steady drip of, of new Ukraine headlines and whistleblower headlines, plus disagreements maybe over how the president is choosing to defend himself over impeachment, how he talks, how he tweets, uh, what his legal strategy is. If those things all combined uh, let a certain amount of fatigue set in among Senate Republicans, I think the possibility is still remote. But it's certainly the chances are higher than it ever was with Bill Clinton in the late 90s. Wow. Really? Wow. You said somewhere, I'm looking through the three articles I made marks on, on your or all your articles, all worth reading, by the way, folks, um, that uh, you made a statement. Uh, you can you can sharpen it, as I recall it. It was, look, frankly, a lot of the Republicans in the House and Senate would be a, would be a lot more comfortable with the Pence presidency. Oh, you, sure. you recall what I'm talking about? Can you elaborate a little bit? Sure. Well, certainly in the Senate. I think in the House, there are, there are a lot of members in, in the Republican caucus who are pretty stoked about President Trump. But I don't think that's quite as true in the Senate. Certainly Mike Pence uh, is a, a more traditional Reagan Republican uh, than is Donald Trump. And I think they're comfortable with the types of decisions he'd make on things like Syria, on international affairs. Um, and and that, on some level, has to factor into uh, Senate Republicans' decision-making process on something like impeachment. Now, I think the bigger factor is the, is the president's overwhelming popularity with the Republican base and the likelihood that he probably still would be the most competitive 2020 candidate for the GOP. It's hard to see how you can remove the president and then 
win the 2020 presidential election. Uh, so that, I think, is the biggest factor right now. But, but certainly Pence isn't the greatest impeachment insurance for Trump. I, you know, he has longstanding relationships with a lot of people on Capitol Hill, having served there. And uh, he he really does track more closely ideologically with where a lot of people in the Senate Republican conference are. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that and that tells you. I mean, you know, it's interesting if if they want to go ahead with impeachment. I want to get to the, the Democrats' motivation here in your in your first article uh, about it. Um, you know, if this were simply on ideological grounds. Uh, you know, but Pence is a purer conservative than Donald Trump. You'd agree with that, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so it's so it's personal, isn't it? I mean, they just don't. They hate Trump, don't they? The Dems. They just hate. There, him. there, there is a lot of Trump hatred in D.C., and some of it uh, is is shared by old line Republicans too. And, you know, and some may not hate Trump the way that the Democrats hate Trump, but they're not always comfortable. Even if they shaking. like the substance of what he's doing, they don't like his style. All right, a lot of head shaking. A lot of head shaking. Let's talk yeah. about. Let's talk about the impeachment effort. Let me just say, and and um, I. I you you don't think a conviction is likely, but you're saying if it did happen, it would happen because of the steady drip plus things like Syria plus other things. But your final conclusion, if you had to bet, will he be removed from office would be no. Is that correct? It would be no, just because 20 Republicans voting to convict and remove the president in an election year at a time where he has 90% approval among Republicans. That's just a real heavy lift. Hard to see that happening. I just don't think it's the 0% number that it clearly was under Bill Clinton. That just You were not going to get, once Robert Byrd and Joe Lieberman and, and, and guys like that made clear that they weren't going to uh, vote to convict on, on the basis of the Starr report, it, it was clear that you were just never going to get the votes to do that. And I think that it's still very unlikely under Trump, but it's not that zero number uh, that kept Bill Clinton safe uh, in 1999. Interesting you bring up Lieberman. Uh, uh, You were, uh, I don't know where you were in school, but I'm guessing you were maybe in college during Clinton. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Jack Kemp and I went to go see Joe Lieberman. We were in Empower America in the midst of that. And we said, Mm -hmm. Joe, uh, you remember the Old Testament story of uh, the biblical story of David and Bathsheba, and David takes another mm-hmm. man's wife. He's got only one wife. And David's got many wives. Right. Uh, and Nathan the prophet came to David and told a story about a man who took uh, you know the one the one sheep from the from the guy who only had one, and he had many sheep. And David says mm-hmm. to Nathan, uh, "Who is that man?" And Nathan says, "Thou art the man. You're the man." And you know that's what you did by taking Bathsheba, and uh, we said, Joe uh, Kemp and I said, Joe, you got to you got to go to the president. You know, you're the elder, the vicar, the rabbi of the Democrat Party. You got to go and tell him to resign. He said, I will think about it. He then made a floor speech right. three days later. Came right to the edge of it, Jim, and uh, right. and, and stepped back. But uh, we oh, we thought for a minute that we had convinced him. I don't know if that would have. He was he was really the guy, you know, once he wasn't willing to go there, you knew that there just wasn't going to be any Senate Democrats who'd be willing to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's let's go to the impeachment thing itself. Um, Sure. Because your your first essay, uh, The Hazards of Normalizing Impeachment, first of all, 
let's take take up two points. One, what, what is the hazard? We're, we're turning to this too often, aren't we? I think if all impeachments become partisan, and this is a partisan impeachment, and uh, there wasn't really meaningful bipartisan support for the Clinton impeachment. It does somewhat lessen the significance of this constitutional tool, I think, to the broader electorate. So, you know, Congress has a lot of meaningful oversight of the executive branch that it's supposed to be doing. The fact that it really only does that in a robust way uh, when the White House and, and Congress are controlled by different parties make some of those hearings and, and, and things be taken less seriously uh, by people in the opposite party. Uh, and I think that could happen with impeachment. If, if, we, if we now impeach uh, any president uh, of, of an opposing party uh, and then raise allegations against them that, that maybe you know, we would have overlooked if it was a president of our own party, I think that that makes the impeachment tool somewhat discredited. And, and it's hard to see uh, how valuable that would be in our current polarized climate. Okay. Uh, were you opposed to the Clinton impeachment? No, I wasn't. And I, I mentioned in the piece, you know, at the time, I certainly was supportive of it. I thought it was the right thing to do. In, in, in retrospect, yeah. I question it. Yeah. 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 I, I think it was tough to look at this, to swallow lying to a grand jury. You know, that's right. under oath. Of that's, course. That's, that's pretty hard. Uh, all right. So then yeah. let's look at the case that they're making at the moment. This has been discussed and discussed, but really want to get your view here before we close, which is. Do, do they have a case here in terms of Ukraine, in your view? There's certainly a case. I mean, I, I think you, you can raise a lot of questions about the appropriateness of, of the president's calls. Uh, and they ha- they're going to frame this and control the narrative in a way that they just never were able to do with the Mueller report. With Mueller, they were just waiting for him to produce this report. And while there's a lot of criticism you can make of the report and, and whether it was biased against the president, uh, it was a more measured document uh, from which you could draw various conclusions. Adam Schiff and company aren't going to leave any room for interpretation. So they're going to look at these calls, which I think were maybe unwise, and say, look, this is foreign interference in an election. Now, do I think that that's the correct reading of the calls? No, I don't. But it's a case you can make, and they're not showing us. Uh, they're, they're shrouding this process in a lot of secrecy. Uh, and I think they probably are pretty close to having the votes to do whatever it is that they want to do. And so then it's just going to become a matter for Senate Republicans. Uh, do they end up defending the president? And, and I think, you, you know, I think even without getting into the weeds, just an argument of let the people vote when you're so close to an election, it might be a winning argument for Senate Republicans right there. All right. Well, we'll, we'll just we'll just see on this. I just boy, you know, if. They say if you shoot at a king, you must kill him. Uh, I just don't. I just don't That's see this. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think this is a big miss, a big mistake um, uh, on their part. But we'll see. You know, um, you said it's not a zero percent uh, anymore about impeachment and removal. What is the percent you think? I would still put it at under twenty. But it's but, but that still puts the president in more jeopardy than, than Bill Clinton was ever in. All right. Listen, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, appreciate your essays. Of we'll put a link up and uh, congratulations on your work. And we look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Jim. Jim Antle. 
You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. So I just had a couple thoughts on the Jim Antle interview. I, you know, I wasn't persuaded by him, as you could tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I disagreed with him. I think the likelihood of the president being removed from office, given what we know now. Right. Uh, I didn't I didn't put that premise in when I asked Antle to be fair to him. Is not twenty percent. It's less. It's less than ten percent. Okay, maybe five percent. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, could other things arise? Sure, anything could happen. I learned in philosophy course. You know, remember I I said, well, it might be, and the professor said, anything might be that isn't logically contradictory. Right. Anything right. might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might sprout wings and fly. Unlikely. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, but but. You know, I disagreed with him, and I, I think that's fine for the audience to hear. But it was fine to have yeah. the disagreement. Yeah, and, and I would love to hear what everyone else uh, has to say about it. Uh, Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com uh, is uh, the email address. Uh, it's interesting, you know, when you guys were talking about the impeachment um, likelihood uh, or removal from office likelihood, and he said 20%, he, he factored in just other things and, and maybe even serious stuff. I don't see how that will play any kind of uh, role in any Senate Republicans' thoughts of impeachment. I think there's, it's very likely that those who strongly disagree with the Syria uh, decision would let that factor in at all. I just uh, uh, impeachment. Senate Republicans may shake their head a lot and, you know, and wince, you know, on, on a various, any, any number of various Trump comments, Claude, but, mm-hmm. but if they get anywhere close to convicting him and removing him from office they are going to hear from the base like nothing you've ever heard right don't you dare touch a hair on that uh forehead that hair that hangs down (laughs) right i better be careful here because we may get arrested like winnie the pooh here yeah no you don't want to end up in a chinese Chinese but but i uh he's extremely popular Mm mm-hmm and even though Democrats would hate Pence's philosophy more than even Trump's philosophy, they get along with him. But the base doesn't love Mike Pence like it loves Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. It loves him and admires him. But he hadn't gone through the fire uh, as president that Trump has. And you get rewarded by people when you go through the fire for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of Trump people feel. And I think they feel it rightly. And I think one of those main points, like to go through the fire was, I mean, I think uh, before president Trump, there weren't a lot of politicians who were willing to, and actually like standing up against the mainstream media. That's correct. Way president, I mean, it's easy to think now that that is almost standard practice, but I mean, you go back three or four years ago, you know, politicians weren't going up against the mainstream media this way. The media was kind of bullying around a lot of folks who they didn't agree with. And uh, when President Trump came on the scene, you know, he kind of turned the tables on that a lot. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, and I just don't think there's enough there there in the Ukraine thing. And there's too much Democrat complicity. And I will come back to what I was saying earlier in this whole thing about impeachment and Ukraine and other stuff. That um, I think it's all going to be overshadowed. Mm-hmm. with a bomb that's going to drop from Bill Barr or uh, John Durham mm-hmm. about the whole Democrat collusion to take the election, to keep him from winning, and then take it away from him once he won. Right. Um, and the FBI, et cetera. I think that investigation is going to show blatant wrongdoing, dirty hands, filthy hands on the side of the cabal involving high-ranking government officials, maybe, you know, head of the FBI, maybe head of the CIA, maybe higher in the Obama administration. And I think that's going to 
that's going to inure to President Trump's mm. credit. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right. I, I want to do some emails uh, from our great listeners. Okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Emails, by the way, we encourage folks to send. Yeah. And where? how do they get an email to us, Claude? Just send one to BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Mm, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Say it again. BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Now, um, I could send an email. Yeah, yeah well, you could. Uh, dude, so, I know, we say, love the emails. This is a really great show. Well, I was going to say that. Going. We love the emails that say, hey, we love the podcast, yeah, we love the show. Yeah. We get tons of those. But we want to read some of your thoughts on news of the day well, and politics. And so, keep sending the We Love the Show podcast. Or even if you don't, just send an email, but then send your thoughts as well I, so we can read those. On I got at least one of each. Right. Uh, this is Good Morning, Bill and Claude. This is from Marianne and John in Hinsdale, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts a not so insignificant reason for our country's continued track to the left over the last 30 plus years is the fault of many Republican elected officials in their party. Many are not conservative. That's true. They continue to lack spine and know how to combat the left. They do not know how to combat the left. Their naivete and playing nice is a failure. Trump, Graham, Dr. Bennett, Claude. Claude, you're in a good company. Rush. Mm Mm-hmm. You like this company? You like this company? <laughs> Trump, Graham, Bennett, Claude, Rush. Okay. All right. And precious few others mm-hmm. are doing, articulating what the above have abdicated. Nice. Articulating what others have abdicated. Our support donations only go to the worthy individuals, not the party. Keep carrying the torch. Marianne and John. And this, I love the postscript. Our discipleship is adding listeners in our area to your show. Yes. Please do that. Please do that. Tell the thing is growing. This yeah, no, we're seeing an uptick in numbers. I mean, even okay. as of last week, it's growing. So. Now, here is a great, really substantive email. Um, and uh, I'm going to have you read it because uh, you've got such a good radio voice and people love to hear you. Okay. And um, I, I would say read it in full because it's so interesting. And this is from uh, Penny from Chicago, uh, formerly, oh, yeah. formerly Penny, Penny from Glendale. But, but read it, because I think it's fabulous. Okay, let's see. Uh, dear Bill, I, I will comment when okay. you are done. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just tell me to stop. And I'll... Uh, dear Bill and Claude, the subject of pharmaceutical companies and lawsuits, particularly because of opiates, uh, is a topic of great interest to me. I really appreciate your thoughts on that subject during this week's podcast, and that being several weeks ago. Uh, for those who may want to catch up um, on it, uh, she says uh, she worked for uh, she worked for seven years at Amgen, a, a biotech company famous for developing uh, Epigen and Nupogen. Uh, I said, Bill, you may be familiar with that uh, new last uh, um, if you were on um, chemo. He says uh, she yeah, says I was on chemo. Okay, when I had the cancer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, she says. Two true miracle drugs. When I worked there, I was uh, on the leptin team. Leptin was being developed as a weight loss drug. Rockefeller University uh, had been testing the leptin molecule on obese lab mice, uh, and the weight loss success was astonishing. Amgen bought the molecule from Rockefeller University for $7 million and set out to develop it for uh, use in humans. Over the next five years, our team worked on that molecule, developing it into a drug that would be uh, safe in humans, testing our drug first in animals and ultimately in massive clinical trials all around the country. She says her particular role was in clinical safety, reporting and analyzing every side effect experienced by the tens of thousands of patients in the clinical trials. 
After five years and statistical analysis of all the data and paying everyone who worked on uh, leptin plus paying the clinical trial patients to participate. L-E-P-T-I-N. Pretty well-known trial drug, and there was a lot of hope for it. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. We had to conclude that uh, as successful as leptin molecule was in uh, weight loss for mice, it was ineffective in humans. Imagine our grief and disappointment when we had to come to to that conclusion and shut down our five-year study. And dashing the hopes of obese people everywhere. Now, do you really think that because that drug never made it to market, that Amgen didn't spend millions and millions of dollars trying to develop it? Uh, it's a particular sore spot for me when I hear, this is a quote, look how small that pill is. Can you believe they actually charge $4 for it? Uh, end quote. These multi-multi-million dollar lawsuits just prove how little people understand about drug development and what it takes to bring a safe, successful drug to market. Okay, stepping off my soapbox, a good friend Penny uh, from Chicago, formerly Penny from Glendale. Yeah, now I find this very interesting. Uh, first of all, this is a great email. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, you know drugs and opioids and the uh, lawsuits against the opioid co- companies and so on. And here's this whole thing about... Um, experimentation and how much money they make and so on. But look how much money they put into drug trial Uh uh, of a drug like leptin. And it never comes to market. So that's, you know, that's research and development. They got to take that as a loss. Right. That's, and that's the point. One wonderful phrase there at the beginning that just stayed in my mind the whole time. You know what it was? I was obese lab mice. Right. (laughs) Just uh, kind of a priceless, <laughs> kind of a priceless term, obese lab mice. Right. Uh, anyway, um, very illustrative, Penny, and very helpful. Um, I'm not saying that the hands are clean of all these drug companies. They're certainly not. Right. But um, you know, it, it, I, one, my very best friend is in this business, and he talks about the years and years it takes mm-hmm. to develop a drug, mm-hmm. and all the trials you got to go through, and how much money they got to spend. And, um, you know, one, one, one understands this. The other thing is, you know, and again, back on the opioid thing, most of the deaths come from misuse of the drug, mm-hmm. the version, someone steals it, uh, the drug, or it's a street version of the drug, not, uh, you know, not what the company, not what the company makes. So um, very, very few cases of people dying from these drugs, from overdoses or anything else, when they follow mm-hmm. directions that are clearly um, offered by the manufacturer. So did some of these people rush to get this stuff into market? Yes. Did they, uh, maybe push the doctors too hard? Yes. Some did, uh, were there mills where the stuff was given out too freely? Yes. Should some of these people be brought to trial? Yeah. But don't indict the whole industry and don't give up opportunities for people who are in serious physical pain Mm -hmm. to get relief from that pain. Yeah. Uh, because most of the people use these drugs responsibly. Uh, according to the guidelines of the prescription. Right. So right. that's a uh, very helpful, very helpful email. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some others, too. Yeah, we've got this one from Bob Beasley. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. This was very interesting. Um, Dr. Bennett, this is on the whole um, boys running and girls events. I'm just right. going to say it that way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I get confused, transsexual yeah. male. I go, is a transsexual male a girl becomes a boy or a boy becomes a girl? Boys running as girls. Right. Running in girls' events. Dr. Bennett, athletes should compete based on XX, uh, XX and XY chromosome makeup. I hope that makes it to the Supreme Court and that becomes the law. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends somewhat on the composition of the court. It's, it's, yeah. if it's XX or XY. <laughs> no, 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 no. If 
That's, uh, you know, with the, co- the political composition. Things are nuts these days. Bob, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. We continue to race to the bottom as constructive and common sense principles are ignored. Who yells the loudest wins, unfortunately? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There are victories for justice here. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can also like me on Facebook. I hope you will. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, we work really hard to get some of the emails on. Uh, yeah. And, and as much as we love emails that uh, talk about how much you love the podcast and love the show and that they wish you would do more of them, we get that. Uh, but we would love just your thoughts on what's going on uh, in the country right now and even in your city, in your town, even if it has nothing to do with political stuff uh, or the president, just what's happening in your life. We'd love to share that, that as well. Let us know. Let us know what you're thinking. 35 emails of Dr. Ben, I love the show. Keep keep it up. I mean, well, that's I, the same thing. I, I, I think it's great. I don't share that with you because I want to keep you motivated. Your, has your <laughs> wife ever said to you, stop saying I love you? No, no. Okay, no. well, we'll keep, keep that coming, but you can send other stuff, too. <laughs> Maybe you should say, we love Claude. Is that what you're after? Is that really what? I could share a few of those. Sure. Share a few of those. <laughs> and share the podcast with your family and friends. Catch up to you next week, folks. 